Hello, everybody. Thanks for coming. Welcome from the Treasury headquarters. Um, just to start off um, some housekeeping notes, so to speak. This um, webinar will be recorded to be able to share it with you afterwards. And uh, you, will, you have the chance to get some additional materials as well. Um, this is for us, for Treasury, it's a first, so to speak. We have an awesome um, guest speaker here um, with us. And this webinar will be the first of a series um, we're gonna promote afterwards too. So um, keep your eyes peeled for the upcoming ones. Um, feel free to use the Q&A button you can see in the Zoom um, to share your thoughts during the webinar. There will be a discussion afterwards and we will be able to discuss a bit further maybe or clarify things that aren't as clear as we thought, as the speakers um, thought it, they could be. So um, we will get there afterwards, as I said, and let's just quickly dive into the topic. Um, today, we're going to talk about digital trust. We're going to talk about disinformation. We're going to talk about why this is important, um, why poor security measures back in the past and um, fragmented digital infrastructures um, paved the way for cybercrime, paved the way for insecurities in the web and how to tackle these. Um, I see you can't see any slides. Let me just, sorry. Oh, there you go. There's a title page now. Thanks for letting me know. Um, and despite the fact that there has been turbulent times, um, we created awesome um, industry benchmarks. We have agencies in place like Anisa taking care of IT infrastructure and cybersecurity measures. Um, we have certifications um, like ISO 27001, um, also trying to take care to promote um, security, to make it more visible, to make people aware of this. But despite this fact, um, we also experienced like six to seven digit um, loss numbers um, in terms of fees every day or in terms of cybercrime. So um, what is central? We ask ourselves, what is central to resolving crises and achieving goals? Of course, it's trusted partners. And as we as Tresgrid also rely on partners and like to collaborate in the digital space, we opted for um, the Digital Trust label um, to be our guest and Swiss Digital Initiative, the organization behind um, To Be Precise. And um, we have here Diana Calif with us. She's the product lead of um, the Digital Trust label that is like a sign for trusted partners, so to speak. And if she has it her way, um, it takes clear, visual, and non-technical language to build trust among users. She will probably clarify what this means in detail. But um, first of all, it's so nice to see you, Diana. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Stefan. And thanks for everyone to joining this webinar to discuss this topic that is not only close to my heart and my everyday work, but also a topic that engages all of us as we're all connected in the digital space. So really happy to be here. 
Yes, thank you. So maybe you could also um, clarify what, what you meant with your sentence by saying the non-technical language. So could you say two to three sentences on this too, as people probably will wonder what this really means? Sure. Um, so the idea with the digital trust label is really to have something that is user centric. So for the everyday person that uses a digital service, that they would be able to see uh, that this service has passed the audit to have a digital trust label. So again, it's not supposed to be technical like the other certifications and schemes that you mentioned. It's really supposed to be something easy for a user to be more empowered to be able to decide what solutions to use and maybe which one not to use in an ideal scenario. So we could argue for being the label a certificate for like everybody instead of just the techies, for example, or just the compliance guys out there. And um, yeah, I think it makes perfect sense to have also this non-technical language in terms of definition. So maybe we can start off with some basics and um, maybe you can provide us with some explanation or your thinking process too on uh, what is digital trust, maybe a definition. Yeah, um, so one definition is put here uh, and it's something that we in Swiss Digital Initiative together with uh, many other partners developed during a process for two and to three years. So this non-technical language is of course a bit challenging because the first question we asked ourselves is now as the economy is moving to a digital economy from what we're used to today or 20 years back, we really try to understand that in real life, we know how to build trust with, uh, within our societies, in our businesses, with our customers, clients, et cetera. But in the digital space, we do have a few other criteria to adhere to. So even though we say it's non-technical for the user, it should be easy to understand that this service has passed an audit to really have the highest standards in terms of digital trust. We still cannot, don't care about the topics mentioned here, such as security, uh, reliability, for example, because when we operate in a digital space, those aspects also matter because you might have the best intention, but if your solution is not secure, uh, that trust with the user can be breached as well. So it's just a brief definition on that. It contains um, some of what we call universal ethical values, as well as some technical aspects to make sure that the solution can be trusted and that the organization behind it has done really its homework in terms of all the criterias that we think represents trust in a digital space. So actually what you're saying is to merge what we already know about trust and relationship building and um, good partnership, uh, maybe from the real world and merge it with the digital world and try to create maybe another category. That's That sounds really interesting. And um, you mentioned also security, for example, um, I want to provide us with a with a number um, by Cisco on I think it's from their current report on uh, cybersecurity, and it says that only fifteen percent of organizations in of the survey um, feel mature against cyber threats out there. So let's just quickly dive into this. This is this is really a a number that is kind of uh, nothing new probably to, to most of business people at least out there. 
um, the news um, are all over the place. Um, but on the other hand, it provides us with another uh, another topic in, in terms of security and in terms of data protection. Now we're talking about resilience. And resilience is probably the key word that should be in place right here too. As we are talking about um, not when or not, not if, but when a cyber breach could happen or cyber crime could happen to all of us probably, but we should go and move on um, with some resilience at least and have the measures in place also in case something happens. What we're mm -hmm. trying to do at Tresrit, for example, is provide users with the highest security measures like end-to-end -end encryption and zero knowledge principles. But there are probably many more other measures for digital um, uh, services and products in the near future. Um, so maybe we can also talk about um, how the digital trust label want to prove that there are ways to make organizations future-proof and uh, make a difference in, in the digital space. Yeah, it's a very, very interesting topic. And I think that it's important to highlight that um, at Swiss Digital Initiative with the digital trust label, we label a solution, we don't label the organization. So even in Tresserit's case, we know it's a, it's a similar scenario because Tresserit is the company, which is also the solution for some other organizations that can defer. You might offer 20 solutions and we might have the trust label for one or two of them. So I think the first thing is, is that we would want then to give the user more information around the tools that they're using. We have on our website a long list of all the criteria that a solution has to pass to be given the trust table. So you can, as a user, transparently see, okay, what kind of things has been checked for in terms to get the trust label? And today, as a user or a consumer on the digital space, you do not always have this information. You're sometimes exposed to things that you might not want to comply with, but you're still in that space with no or little choice. If we compare to when you go to the grocery store, you can really decide uh, to purchase another product and will not based on your preferences and your ethical standards, let's say. So we would want to do something similar in the digital space where you as a user have more information but it's also for organizations as a guidance to see, okay, if I want to maintain and build a trust for my users, what should I be doing? What should I keep in mind? What kind of things should I not forget about? And where the audit behind the label can provide such, um, such a guidance. So we really think that it's for users. You were also mentioning collaboration. We see this as a collaborative effort. We continue to develop the label, what it stands for. Uh, lately, for example, AI has been a hot topic. So what if a service uses AI? How can it be done in a way that complies with the label and therefore what we think is a very high ethical standard? And what ways might not be so um, compliant with what we call digital trust and safeguarding the user. So these are some of the perspectives we have from the work we've been doing with the label for the last years. That's interesting. We're, we're talking about users, but in it, it seems like we're just talking about the business environment, so to speak. So um, maybe 
you had some differentiation back then when you created the label or do you think it makes sense even uh, to separate those groups like end users or business users or maybe there's also another category can you clarify a bit please yeah very interesting so in the process the label was just launched uh, a little bit more than a year ago in uh, January last year. And before that, we had more than two years of development to create the label and to define what it is, who it's for. But the idea of the label really came from this user-centric approach where we saw in the digital space that many users might not have a choice or might not feel empowered and something has to change. And for that to change, we believe that organizations should be doing certain things in a certain way so that users could feel comfortable. So the main idea comes from this user-centric approach. Of course, during the process and still today, there is huge interest in the B2B application. So we already do uh, label services that are B2B2C. So where one company sells a service to another company, and in the other end, there is a user that can benefit from this solution being trustworthy. But we've also had demands and interest coming from companies that are doing business with other companies and where they say, we would also like to establish this digital trust in B2B settings. How are we going to do that? What are your kind of advice on that? What would be a product? Is there something we can do? What we've landed on here is that when it comes to the user-centric approach, um, the kind of the notion what that is and what has to be in there is somewhat similar. So we do share certain universal values of what we think is okay and not. And we've seen multiple news reports of organizations doing the opposite, getting quite a lot of attention. So in the B2B uh, space, we saw that, okay, uh, each organization, they do their due diligence, they have their process to safeguard that the partner that they want to do business with is uh, trustworthy. And because there is a lot of um, discrepancies and a lot of um, tailoring for each organization, we thought, that, okay, in the B2B space only uh, to build digital trust, we might have to have another product or another solution. Uh, so there is an idea to do that. But first of all, we really wanted to see that, okay, in the B2B scenario where there is also a user, which in most cases it is, the label makes sense and is adding value. But for the pure due diligence, doing business, um, we've had a lot of interest, we've gathered a lot of knowledge, but we've not yet acted on that and released another label or another product up to this point. I see, but maybe there will be synergies in the future and maybe this resonates also with like end users from these B2B users. And often, you know, in terms of hybrid work situations these days, it's vice versa. And yeah, there could be synergies also with regard to um, cybersecurity, reliability, uptime. Um, when you're thinking about the, the standards you, you want to achieve in your private or both in your private and your professional life. And therefore, yeah, I, I think this is a great approach to um, making the net maybe or the web a bit more, um, you know, integrated or inclusive in terms mm. of solutions and products. But um, what, what I'm still wondering is um, why now? Why not like 10 years ago, for example? Why why are you coming up with all these topics that are true and that are 
um, probably on each and every uh, company's agenda at the moment, but why now? Yeah, it's a very good question. Uh, and I think there is always the, the right time and maybe the, the wrong time. One might think that maybe this is a bit too late, you know, we should have done this 10 years ago, 20 years ago. But from our perspective, the dialogue and interest wasn't really there. I think we were a bit naive at the start of the digital economy where we thought, you know, the best intention is going to be there and whoever has the best uh, solution is going to win, et cetera. We've seen that's not really the case. So I think we've had for the last few years, the perfect combination of users being more aware and saying what I'm reading in the news, what I'm hearing from my neighbors, I don't like it. I don't agree with this. This is not what I um, expected and this is not what I thought. So there is user pressure, just like there is in the supermarket I was referring to the other day on sustainability. There was some kind of pressure coming from individuals saying, I'm not sure I agree with the practices of some organizations. At the same time, the response to that is that there is many organizations and companies that say, we can do better than that. We want to do better than that because we care, because we think there is benefits in doing so, both for the users, both for society and for ourselves. So I think we've just had this timing now where we there's interest, there's action, and we've gone from it being something you talk about on a very high level to something you really would want to work on. And I think that has happened in just in the last few years. And I think it's a great starting point to say, okay, we have this label, we have this framework. Um, it can guide you in that transition from interest policy to concrete action. So I just think it is a timing question. Uh, we would have loved for that to potentially be earlier. And there was potentially other initiatives launched 10 years back. I wouldn't know about it, but that tried to do it, but maybe the timing wasn't right. So I think we have a few things that are aligning, which makes this a very, very exciting moment. And I think it comes from the recent breaches and recent distrust that is then generating a, a counter movement that we are kind of part of and want to be part of going forward as well. And I think you're on the on the right page there when I'm thinking about what I've read recently, for example, on the next generation that is quite um, a, a tricky one, actually, in terms of privacy, in terms of, you mentioned it, sustainability. In terms of privacy, um, I learned that um, many um, new generation users in social media, for example, refuse to, to have their, their true names in there. So um, back then, when probably you and I also started with using social media, um, we didn't really think about probably what it could mean to give our full names in their social media. And um, yeah, we've we've experienced many things since then. And now we are um, more mature as a society too, probably. Um, many people are aware of um, how end-to-end -end encryption can benefit their lives in terms of privacy also in the digital space. We've seen this also with uh, big big tech companies, for example, leveraging what, what they can make of end-to-end -end encryption, at least in part. Uh, of course, this is uh, also some kind of company DNA thing and transformation and whatever. But um, I think you're on the right track um, by saying this is like about future readiness, actually. 
this is a um this is not about one generation or the challenges of one generation but probably about the future in general too um maybe to make this more um obvious and make it more clear we could have a little walkthrough into the criteria um you um had in mind while creating the label and maybe how it evolved and what it is now so yeah could you, could you give some some insights there too perfectly so i think there are um two parts of the trust label that are interesting or multiple but the ones i'm going to present now so before we talked about what it is what it does why the timing is right I think the background of it, if we want to take such a stance to call it a trust label, we also have to be trusted. So we can't just rely on saying, oh, we're Swiss and, you know, Switzerland is trusted. It's not really the right timing. So what we made sure to install is on our process, on our end, a process as well that safeguard the trust in the actual label. So here on the slide, what we present is the audit that is behind the label. So we have a third party independent auditing firm that goes in and check for each criteria, the solution with the organization that wants to get the label. And that is so that I'm not sitting here and saying, okay, Tresorit, you can have the label very much welcome. We have to have this third party independency. And here it's listing the different uh, steps that we do with a scoping call to understand how complex the solution is. We have the audit then with the independent company. There's a completed audit report. And then on the fourth step, we have a label expert committee that sits and look at that report and make sure that whatever is in that report, that they have a fourth look at that. And they say, okay, we agree with the audit report. We agree with the process. We agree with the finding, or they might have some follow-up questions. And then we, as Swiss Digital Initiative, collect that send it to our board for the fifth approval process where they say, we also agree, now you can get the label. But that is then tied up to the second thing that I was mentioning, which is the uh, criteria list. So what the audit firm goes and look for are 35 very specific criteria that then comes from this definition of digital trust. So this is what we think you have to be doing to gain and maintain the trust of the user. You should be thinking of these 35 things. And those no, are- come in here for, for everyone not having the, the full image. So this, what you mean by um, what we've already touched is it's about transparency, security, reliability, exactly. accountability. This is what you mean by the categories, so to speak. Exactly, of, yeah. exactly that. So those are the things that they look for and what is then um, defined as digital trust, so trust in a digital space. And as we were saying in the beginning, that the security and reliability are also important aspects of that in the digital space. Yeah, as we said, it's about uptime, right? And in, in the B2B environment, it's all about uptime and productivity. So yeah, really great. Thanks for, for walking us through. Um, one question, as I'm a, a data trained data protection officer myself, I'm not operating anymore, but I, I uh, used to. Um, I know that reports can be quite comprehensive. Could you give us a glimpse into what um, maybe five main topics um, the report cover and um is it like 30 pages is is it like uh, a real curriculum guide or what is it 
Interesting question. So uh, on our website, uh, it's a nice and tidy PDF where 35 criteria are list that should be complied with for the solution. So you were mentioning the four different categories and that transparency is one of those. Um, but then how the actual audit report looks like, it is a huge Excel where we have the criteria and for each criteria, there is a question or multiple questions that are asked to the person on the other side responsible for the audit in those companies. And then they come up with the reply and they um, prove how they fulfill this criteria. So it's an, it's an Excel overview uh, where replies to the different criteria, the specific um, questions are being collected. So that's the format that we presented in. And this, of course, is not uh, transparent because it contains a lot of sensitive information, but the user on the other end, at the end of the audit, can be sure that all of these criteria in the available PDF has been um, passed and usually a bit more as well, which is not presented the details of that specific criteria mentioned in the PDF. So you can ditch your concerns once you see the label because you can, you as Swiss Digital Initiative provide users also with the information, um, at least on, on some level, of course, nobody wants to, wants to read like an Excel um, <laughs> file of many, many pages. But yeah, we, we get the idea, I think. Um, so now the big question, why shall I get awarded? Is this really a, a thing we need because we have the certifications in place, we have the standards in place? So how can you differentiate? Yeah, so I think the other uh, similar certifications, audits, labels you can get, I think they're great. They're there for a reason and they're used for a reason. Um, the idea of the digital trust label came from the notion that many of these um, audits are done because you have to, either because a client asks you to or because a regulatory uh, body asks you to. So it's more about compliance and about things you have to do and that doesn't mean it's not important to do it and that it's great to do it. We just thought that, okay, but the user on the other end that uses the service, they don't know about that great work being done. I don't go into a website and see, oh, you had an ISO 27001 or you had a NIST or you had a penetration testing. That is great. I don't do that. So I think the differentiating factor of the digital trust label is that it's really, again, communicated to the end user, focusing on them. So all the great work being done behind that to be able to get the label is as important, but it's just this way of saying that we don't have to get a digital trust label. We choose to, because we think this is important to communicate and to uh, make a stance and take a commitment to say, this is an important question to us, and we are going to continue pushing this agenda on, uh, on digital trust. I also think for some of our clients and the organizations that have the label, we've also seen that it can help in replying some questions that might come. So how do you handle my personal data? Are you using AI? What are you doing with this, which might come? Um, and then the label could be a reply to that and say, okay, we're doing what we can. We're doing a little bit more 
please look at this and um, you should feel more confident uh, in that trust. So I think it's two aspects. One, uh, making a commitment towards digital trust and digital ethics that you don't have to do, but you symbolize and signal that this is important. And the second point is also to um, address topics on user trust. So if that is important for an organization, the label is beneficial because it's uh, one of the few things you can do apart from doing all the homework very properly, you can go the extra mile to also say, we did comply with all this, we did do this extra work, please have a look. That sounds good, that sounds reasonably good. Um, what I what I really like about the idea of committing to something is that it's the whole, the company as a whole, the solution as a whole, you can't just say, um, or in not just in terms of digi the digital trust label, but commitment in general, you can't just say, it's us, the, the leadership um, board, for example, committing to X and Y, it should be the, it should be a cultural thing, actually. And what privacy uh, focused companies like, like Trezoret, like Signal, like um, Quant as a browser, for example, what they all do is they have this um, motion, notion of privacy as a human right, for example. And um, I think this is just great in terms of how you commit and how you expose yourself in, in, in public. Also, with regard to the, the current threats we are facing. So at least your privacy in the, in, in the, on the internet with these services um, is protected. And um, maybe then this question probably leads also to how can companies make themselves future ready? So to you, just an open question. What does a future-proof um, organization on the internet looks look like in the future? Very exciting. Uh, I think there are many things in that future proofing. Of course, the, the basic things of, okay, great user experience, great product. I mean, we're not gonna get away from that. Um, but I think in terms of the, the ethics and the trust, the topics we're discussing today, I think it's going to be more and more important to not only do the minimum effort and comply with what you have to do, I think future proofing and the future winners are going to be the ones that say, okay, we really care um, and we really go the extra mile. So I think that is one important to think about that again, the users of the future, again, the upcoming generations, I'm not sure that they are going to buy the same things that we have bought and agree with the same things that we've agreed on. I hope and think that they are going to have more choice. And I think future-proof um, companies are going to want to be that natural choice. Because we also see that users are not as loyal as before. You do not always shop the same brand, visit the same page. You do choose a little bit based on your preferences. So I think again, the being a leader in the the be it sustainability, be it in the digital responsibility space is really going to pay off when we see that users are getting more and more aware and are making those choices more uh, actively. Yeah, this is this is a, a perspective we can share, Treasury too. I think um, we are all about um, making collaboration more secure, more productive in the future. 
And uh, this is always about the user actually, because as we know, the user can all be also be a threat to a company, for example, but we don't want to talk about this anymore. And therefore it should be also about automate, automated security. It should be about privacy by design when using solutions on the internet in general, actually. This this is what we what we are committed to 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 do, to offer functionalities just the privacy way without compromising on what we know by big tech solutions of the past, for example, that possibly can be less secure. I don't know. That's, that's <laughs> this topic Content. maybe. Yeah. Um, but um, what I found interesting when uh, reading about security and trust um, on the level of the United Nations, for example, it was all about cooperation. It was all about digital cooperation to, you know, tackle the big crises all around the world. It's not anymore about some national efforts. It's rather about the world being connected. We can't, you know, um, escape the connected world anymore. It's the virtual space. It's the metaverse, uh, probably in in some places as well. So. Um, Having these um, built-in security functions is probably one of the big levers for companies, for organizations to future-proof themselves, at least when it comes to um, data, sharing data, sharing information, and um, yeah, securing or keeping their secrets safe. Um, and what I think is the most um, critical thing in terms of society is mitigating risks being being more resilient you know it's it's we talked about it it's not about if it's about the when when will you be the victim of a of a cyber breach we are um experiencing distributed work hybrid work different cloud environments for example therefore we need to keep this conversation going and therefore i'm i'm really um interested in interested in in learning about what our audience, what our users, what the digital trust label um, community thinks about um, our approaches we've discussed today. And therefore maybe we should um, look at um, the Q&A um, session. Let me quickly check. Now there's a question on AI, for example. You mentioned AI uh, way earlier. So um, how can we future-proof when AI is advancing? Oh, very, uh, the million dollar question. So that's a question we are working on right now because it's a very important one. Um, and so far, what we have found, again, since we care about the reliability, we care about the ethical side, um, we have not decided exactly how to uh, define um, trusted AI, but we have seen a few things that we think that this is maybe what we are aiming at. So the future of AI, for example, starts also in the, the data privacy space. So again, the data that you are giving to AI, what is being done with that? How is it being handled? That's a question I think we're going to ask ourselves more and more. The second thing is that we've also so far also drafted and uh, brainstormed around criteria when it comes to uh, non-discrimination. So we don't so far don't see a problem with AI as it is because it's going to be used everywhere. But if it's used to discriminate or used to um, exclude certain people or used to label certain people, 
that we don't think is going to be a solution that is ever going to be awarded the trust label, let's say you would use that kind of AI. So the questions we should be asking ourselves to future-proof AI is, um, how is it being used? What is it being used for? And how are the replies or results generated? Um, and to have it as, as unbiased as possible and that the learning algorithms should also uh, demonstrate that. But it's very difficult because what we've seen so far is that to be able to look at that and make a, um, a statement, you would have to understand the backends and the workings of AI, which is not always available to us. So it's going to be a tricky situation. I know the European Union is on it. There's a lot of organizations working on it. Uh, but for our sake, or at least thinking of the data collection part and the discrimination or uh, differentiating part, if that can be seen as um, problematic or unethical. Great answer. Um, maybe we should have another um, deep dive in this. I can see the questions incoming. There's a follow-up question. Maybe um, you can answer this too. As you're uh, um, creating a label, should there be then a label maybe also to make people aware of um, AI and the, you know, trust risks maybe? I've um, recently re um, read, a, a I think it was a tweet about a, an, an um, chat GPT um, application when somebody experienced there was um, data disclosed, so personal data. How can you trust a solution that should be fine, actually? It, I think it, it says every every time the people are arguing about ChatGPT, it's always about um, this is this is a, a kind of a matter of behavior, how you behave in front of, of the AI and what you give and what you get, so to speak. So there should be a balance. And of course, you shouldn't disclose your personal data, but um, there's tons of data out there. I think I read a number on um, all the data in the business context out there is like 80% um, percent unstructured data in businesses. I, I don't know if, if it's still a valid number, but this got me thinking, you know, if it's, you know, it's it's like a, it has some some sense of chaos in there, so to speak. Mm -hmm. So this isn't um, just the this one tiny aspect of AI so that some organization is training um, a machine to get results out there for the users. But rather um, this this ethic, ethical aspect of it, you can't really control what is in there as it's mm. machine learning. So mm. therefore, we're also um, thinking about um, quantum computing, for example. At the moment, you can never know what the machines themselves, so to speak, take from the real um, the real virtual world, actually, or the mm. humans' virtual world. Mm what they make out of this. So this is, a, I think, a big concern in terms of end users, at least. So what do you think? Should there be a label um, or a sign, um, like a warning sign, um, always be aware of the AI or what do you think? Oh, difficult question. So, I mean, for me personally, I think if we would start getting these labels or informations about that this is the, um, the, the back-end uh, machine that is processing your data, I don't think if that's going to help the user because then you would actually have to understand what that means. But I would agree on that we have to have 
more user information, more also regulation, just like we know now with the personal identifiable information and GDPR, for example, that followed after some time of wild harvesting of valuable private data with no consequences at all. So I think that there should definitely be information, but we just have to make sure that this information actually achieves the purpose that we want. So I think that together with regulation, so actually saying what we can and cannot do should be powerful. Because even if we say, okay, you're using a, a product that is using AI. Okay, that, does that mean I should not be using it? Should I? Maybe it works. In some aspects, I mean, AI is fantastic. Um, so more information, if that is a label or not. And also, of course, some kind of regulation and guidance on what you can and cannot do. I think it's going to be quite critical in making sure that we keep this as a useful, uh, great tool and not something that gets completely out of hand and maybe fulfills purposes that it weren't intended to. And I think on the trust label side, what we always try to do is to think about, okay, but what is the um, intended use and what is the purpose? Um, and in terms of um, information, the user should have information on how, especially uh, their private information is being collected and used. So if we should have a specific information there on AI, maybe, maybe not. Maybe it's more important to know if you use it for uh, marketing purposes, analytics, or for training the AI, let's say. So um, yeah, label or not, I don't know. More information, definitely. Uh, some kind of regulation, definitely. Uh, but we're going to see what, what the future brings there. Thanks for sharing your thoughts, Diana, from the Swiss Digital Initiative and the Digital Trust Label. Um, as we're running out of time, I'm afraid we can't answer all questions, but we're going to um, try to process them and um, give it to you, uh, to all of you also who watch this webinar um, afterwards. So we can also provide you with the recording of this session, and we will also provide you with some additional um, material if you like. Um, as I said in the beginning, we will be talking about digital trust this time, and we're going to talk about who's next five ways cyber criminals identified targets next time. Thanks again, Diana, for having you as our first top tier guest, so to speak. It was Thank really you. nice talking to you. Really um, honored, really happy to be on the call. And I think some of these questions are really interesting. So I will do what I can uh, together with Trustrate to respond to them because I think it's an important discussion to keep um, to keep progressing on the topic of digital trust. I think so too. And we will. We will get back to at least as many as we can. So um, if you want to read up on um, the... For example, I mentioned the, the zero knowledge principle of Trezorid and how it protects users on, in the cloud. And while collaborating, feel free to visit our website. Feel free to visit the DTL website, which will be probably also um, beneficial for all of those who have some further questions on the catalog, maybe, or something else. And of course, the Swiss Digital Initiative. Thank you all for your attention. And um, we're going to try to upload it as soon as we can on our YouTube channel too, and keep your eyes peeled for the next webinars. Thank you. Thank you.